Let's pray um, as we stand. Lord God, we do indeed trust in your word. And we pray that that power would be at work in us to change us, even tonight, that Jesus Christ may be glorified. Amen. Do please sit. There were two men, one of them rich, shipwrecked on uh, this island. The minute they got onto the island, Bill starts yelling, We're going to die! There's no food, there's no water, we're going to die! Ben was propped up against a palm tree looking very calm and relaxed. Bill shouted, Don't you understand? We're going to understand, we're going to die! And Ben replied, You don't understand. I make 300,000 pounds a year. We'll get found soon. Bill looked at him, quite astonished. And asked, what difference does it make? What do you earn? We're on an island with no food and no water. Ben answers, you just don't get it, do you? I make £300,000 a year. And I give 10% of that £300,000 each year to my church. I give £600 a week to my church. My vicar will find me. We do not know what you give, which is just as well. In fact, ignorance, what we don't know, and giving go rather well together. Because the New Testament is astonishingly uninterested in giving, which is odd given that it is so interested, especially in the person of Jesus, in questions of money. If money is so important, why does giving get so little attention? Well, why would we want to know from the Bible anything at all about giving? Surely it's just because we want to know how much to give and therefore how much to keep. And that's why the Bible doesn't say very much because the New Testament doesn't accept that distinction. The New Testament is concerned throughout with the heart. Get the heart right. And the issues of giving are immediately sorted out, along with the issues of spending and saving as well. There's so little we can save from Scripture. Should we give from our gross income or our net income? I don't know. Nothing in Scripture asks God. But that's not to say, if we can't say very much, that we can say nothing. And so we're going to head into our reading from 1 Corinthians on page 1,157. One, 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 five, seven. One, no, one, one, five, seven. Too many ones in there, never mind. (laughs) I'm preaching on giving, but I can't do sums. Um, And I'm going to divide, of course, this into three topics. And the first one I want to talk about is uh, under the title, Down the Drain. You see, Scripture does ne- never says, give from the overflow of your money. Give what's left. In fact, just the contrary. We tend to focus on amounts. But one of the principles that Scripture does have is of giving the first portion. By giving the first portion, we'll find it easier to think that way about the whole. 
So it's not everything else first, all the other demands in your life, with what overflows for the giving. If your money uh, was filling a bath, giving would come scripturally from what flows first down the plug hole. And that is reflected in our text. Look at verse 58 of chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Give yourselves 10% to the work of the Lord? No, fully. It's all his, so all that we have is his. So there's no way that any part of scripture could say, give 2%, or 40%, or 90%. There's no way scripture could think that way. The desire to have a figure comes from us and not from scripture. We don't give because we want to pat ourselves on the back for generosity and bless someone with our overflow. Rather, we give the first part, the best part. What ends up going down the drain, of course, is the whole lot, which is another reason why that image is appropriate. If only we could have a rule, a percentage, a figure, let's face it, life would become so much more manageable. You'd feel so much less bad about what you kept in your wallet. We can see this much going to God's work, and then this much is for us to sort out with common sense and the same priorities that everyone else has, family, pensions, lifestyle, whatever it may be. But let's suppose we lived the truth that it's all God's. That might make a difference to our giving, yes. But it might make much more of a difference to what's left to our spending and our saving and our enjoying. And I suspect we feel more at sea there even than we do on the topic of giving. In terms of following Jesus, though, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. God cares at least as much about what we save and spend as he does about what we give. It's all God's. How much of himself did God give in the baby born at Christmas? All of himself, his first, his best. How much of himself did Jesus give on the cross? How much of Jesus did God raise from the dead? How much of himself did God pour out at Pentecost? How much of you is God committed to saving? 10%? That much? How much of your heart and mine is given to the work of the Lord fully? Now, if you can hear that word of Scripture and not be moved to repentance, then you are in a better place than I am. And let me say here something about tithing, because whenever we deal with giving, it doesn't come up all that often, but we need to deal with this. There weren't just rules in the Old Testament about what to give. There were all kinds of rules about what to do with the rest, with obligations to family and the community. And what's called the tithe, 10%, was only one rule of giving among many. Beyond that, there was free will giving in various ways. 10% was a kind of base level then with more given on top in order to see generosity happen and to witness to God in their midst. Now, I cannot see that 10% is still a rule for God's new people. And when I I say that, I always add this. Do you know, you have no idea how much I wish I could say that. I so wish I could say to you, 
look, let's get this sorted. Give 10%, end of. But I can't. I just don't believe that you can simply take a, a, a rule from the Old Testament like that and simply matrix it onto our uh, current uh, lifestyles. Any more than uh, because uh, the, the Old Testament says you're not supposed to eat shrimp, then you shouldn't have eaten shrimp today. But there's a principle of a level of giving there that we can listen to, a level of giving that we reach from out of the all that is God's and then giving more on top. And that seems to me like sense. Down the drain, then. Let's move from down the drain to on the edge. There's nothing in chapter 16 and verse 2, which is the practical stuff. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. There's nothing there about tithing. Actually, there's nothing there about giving proportionately. There isn't even anything there about income. That verse, generous as it is, is a treasurer's nightmare. And this is where the sheer foreignness of Corinthians comes into play. Very few of them would have anything like what we could call an income. The word doesn't even exist. The, what, that's the word that has to be used to make sense of it in our day. But what it actually says is each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with what has come your way. That's the phrase. And it would have been most unusual in those days for the amount of money to be the same week by week. That means you would have had to think afresh each week, what am I supposed to give here, Lord? They lived much closer to the edge. Now, no no doubt that was for them mostly a stress and a strain. And we are spared much of that because our lives are much more stable. So how are we going to apply this principle of uh, every week thinking it through afresh to a very different world where our income is often predictable and where we can sign a standing order form? And I want to suggest a careful application. I take it that prayer is still going to be absolutely vital. But prayer and planning can work together. See, it may be that we in our day need to expect our response to vary in response to changing circumstances just as went on for them, but over a different time period. Because the change for many of us will be that our income will increase through our working life. So maybe we should set ourselves long-term goals as much in our giving as we do through our savings, as much as we do when we plan our estate and our wills. Now, I suspect, especially for those who are younger, many people never get around to giving at all because somewhere along the line they've picked up the notion of 10% and they can't manage that, so they give loose change. But it's mad to suppose people can go from nothing to 10% straight away. Or that God is really cross until we hit a magic figure. And it's mad to suppose that God sits back, listening to Bill with his uh, £300,000 a year, uh, and then at some arbitrary level that Bill reaches of 10% says, Phew, I'm so glad Bill made it. Rather, I imagine that we're supposed to stay on the edge 
to keep wondering what the right level is, to keep it under review every year or whatever unit of time makes sense for you, to keep praying. Whatever your giving is now, well, first of all, do you know what your giving is now? But whatever your giving is now, what do you want it to be in two years, in ten years? What plans will you make so that if you're on a normal financial ladder ladder, and perhaps you'll have student loans to pay off, then there's something you're going to plan to be able to do. All things being equal, that is how you believe God is calling you to witness with your money. It is godly to plan, and to plan in prayer. And let me say something too uh, to those who are students and worrying about student loans. Uh, Often the question comes when we have to deal with uh, money uh, around the issue of, well, I'm a student, what am I supposed to do? I'm afraid my answer is give from your loan. I know it doesn't feel like you've got anything, but you're going to repay that loan eventually, and so it is at your disposal. If you don't want to give now, okay, but then in that case, plan to give later on top of the giving that would then come from income. That means giving twice later on if you don't give now. And if you want to come up with a better solution, talk to me about it afterwards, because I, 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 I struggle with this one. I just haven't found a better one than to say, give now from your loan, because it is at your disposal. Down the drain, because it's all God's. On the edge, keep talking with God. And finally, keep it in the family. Something is going on in verse 3 here that gets very little notice. Then when I arrive, says Paul, to uh, the church, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. It was normal in the ancient world to use letters of introduction, especially when financial matters meant that fraud was a real danger. Paul will send these letters, and they will identify the bearers when they arrive in Jerusalem. The Christians there are in financial need, great financial need, because of a famine. So this passage isn't even about kind of just keep your church going, giving. It's about a particular need. The principles, though, are worth thinking through. But the trip by the Corinthians wasn't really even necessary. If the money was for Jerusalem, after all, Jerusalem was quite capable of arranging people to come and get it. So the reason for this trip, with all its letters of introduction, is much more personal than that. With this gift, the Corinthians were sharing themselves, and they wanted to share in the situation as it was in Jerusalem. They would have wanted reports and a sense of how the gift might make a difference. They were big-hearted people. They weren't just sending money because because Paul said so. They wanted to share in the situation. There was geographical distance, but heart nearness. They knew the power of giving that's kept in the family. (coughs) Going to visit Jerusalem was an effort. Now, we might decide to make an effort. We might decide to go and see how our church's money is spent in Africa or Hertfordshire. 
And if we're not that interested in how it's spent, that may be one way in which God is calling us to give more. Give until you get to be interested. After all, remember which way round Jesus said it. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be. Didn't say it the other way round. He said, give the dosh, and then look how your interest will follow. Now, some will want to send it all to the church, and I would love that. I would love to be able to say at our upcoming annual meeting, well, uh, we have met all of our obligations, and we now need to consult among ourselves to work out how to spend the other 200,000. It would be a terrific witness. And we would share far more in a common life together. I think most of us, in most of the churches we have belonged to in most of our lives, have barely begun to touch on what it means to share in a common life through our giving. I don't think we've begun, really, to be obedient around money. At least, I think I scarcely have. And I long to be with you in a church where we're together sorting it out. Not saying, well, fundamentally, we're kind of individuals, so we'll, we'll contribute according to the budget to keep the church going. But after that, well, we'll make up our own minds what to do. That's what happens. After all, many will give to people and agencies they support, with some then going to the church. Nothing in the New Testament say we can't do that. But I would argue from the New Testament, that the local church has priority. Precisely because that is where the challenges come to love those ducks from whom we are different. I argue that family comes first. I give uh, bits and pieces to agencies, whatever. And I, if I'm honest, I kind of... I know they need it, so I give it. But sometimes I allow myself to feel good that I've given it to agencies that need it. I can't feel good about giving it to Holy Trinity, because it's you. All deepest respect in the world. But I know you. You're not going to pat me on the back because I've given through my bank account. But it's you that turns me into Christ. It's me that turns you into Christ in your life. More than an agency that makes me feel good because I'm making a difference. So I argue from the New Testament and the, what goes on in the New Testament around building church as family, that family is to have priority. Thanks, John. And I do want to address myself particularly to a few people tonight. Firstly, let me say sorry. I see some people I've never met before here tonight. Uh, I see some people I've not seen for a very long time. And it's just your luck, isn't it, that you turned up on Giving Sunday. Am I sorry? No, not really. Because I want you to know just how much this matters to God, whether this is your church, uh, or whether it will become your church, or whether you belong to another church. It doesn't really matter about this church. But I do also want to address myself to those who've joined the church in the last year or so, and it is a while since we've looked at all of this. The danger is always of a spare change approach. If you have a bank account, 
and most do, if you have a bank account, is there any reason you shouldn't set up a standing order? Plan your giving. If you're a taxpayer, and many are, is there any reason why you shouldn't arrange for that nice Mr. Osborne to give 25% extra of your giving back to your church or whatever you support? My anxiety when it comes to giving is always not so much those who are only slowly learning about giving at all. My anxiety is that there are, always, is that there are those who actually do intend to give that just haven't quite got round to it. And so for all the New Testament and for all the 1 Corinthians and for all the St. Paul, it often boils down to this, please just get round to it. In the next few weeks, we will have a pack for you if you're a member of our church, and you can work out from that in some detail what makes most sense for you. But behind it all, there has to be that sense from chapter 15. Always give yourselves. How much? Fully. To the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I guess each one of us can um, come to you in prayer now and recognize that we're not giving ourselves fully. But some of us may be saying, well, we're not doing too bad. And Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would do such a work in uh, our hearts that we would not rest until whether it's money or service or the desire of our hearts, or our longing for our neighbours to know Christ, that in every way, yes, including money, we might give ourselves not less than fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.